This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Whether taking a road trip to the beach, heading to the mountains, or driving to the city, summer adventures are nonstop fun in a new Honda. But let's face it, summer trips can really add up. That's why I love the fuel efficiency of Honda. With Honda, you can save your money for other things, like that awesome keychain at the convenience store, that brand new album you wanted, or whatever else your heart desires. New Hondas are arriving daily. See your local Honda dealer and start your summer adventures today. Lift tickets, once proudly zip-tied. Honda ski jackets everywhere, now have gone the way of the cassette. Why? Because of Epic Day Pass. It gives you the flexibility to build your own pass, all while paying up to 65% less compared to lift tickets. Just choose one to seven days to ski or ride throughout the season, then select your resort access. Vail, Breckenridge, Park City, and so many more. It's that easy. Yep, lift tickets had a good run. But so did fax machines. It's time for Epic Day Pass. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and in this episode, I'll be talking to Alex Hurst from the True Faith and UFC podcast. He's a Newcastle United supporter. He's on to share his thoughts on his club ahead of this match against Fulham. This is our view of the opposition show, which is our preview for this upcoming match. I look forward to doing this, but before I do anything, I have to welcome my guest to the show. Alex, thank you for joining me on Cottage Talk today. Thanks, Russ. Great to be here. Well, listen, thank you so much for doing this. You have a wonderful podcast. I listened to the last episode. Please tell everyone how they can find the podcast and also maybe follow the podcast on Twitter. Yeah, thanks. We are at Tia Weekly Pod on on social media. Um, And yeah, we're a Newcastle United podcast. Uh, Been going about four seasons now. And yeah, there's about 10 of us in total. We've got a growing team. Um, we do one free show a week and then we do a, a host of um, privileged paid for podcasts about £1.25 a week um, yep. for or $7, $7 a month for extra content. And we're, we're lucky that we're 
we have a lot of time as a group to talk about Newcastle United and the Premier League in general. And um, yeah, we're, we're all the usual places, same as Cottage Talk and iTunes and SoundCloud, Acast, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's just uh, just doing very similar to a lot of other football fans out there who have formed their own media. I think fan media is a very powerful tool these days. It is. A very positive thing. Listen, it's a great podcast. I listened to the last episode. You can listen to that episode and... Alex and his uh, co-host do an excellent job talking about what's been going on with Newcastle United leading up to the fall match. So I would highly recommend fans of Fulham listening to the episode. I think they're going to get a lot out of it. So I just want to mention that. I also want to mention that you actually interviewed me for your podcast. And I'm just curious, after we talked, what did you get out of talking to me about Fulham? Well, it's always good to get uh, an opposition fan's view of not just the upcoming game, but the general situation in the football club, because it's always difficult uh, finding out through the media what what the view of fan base is. Not that I'm saying you, you claim to, rec- rec- um, to represent the whole fan base, but I think you do give a good insight into what Fulham fans are thinking, particularly in terms of the fact you're positive about Ranieri. To, to me, that seemed like a a sideways step with the much love Yukanovic, but you were very positive about Ranieri and, and, and the changes he's trying to make. Um, right. You, you already read in the media that Ranieri might be under a bit of pressure from the owner, but from a fan's perspective, it was interesting to see that that's far from the case. Right. And uh, I also mentioned to you that I was one that actually wanted to stay with Slavisa. So this is kind of difficult for me, Alex. Uh, you know, again, but I understand the type of manager that they got. You know, if there was someone that I thought could right the ship, it was Ranieri. So I understand the move and I respect the move in some ways, but I wanted them to hold on to Savisa. And I'll say that till I'm blue in the face. That's just my view on that. All right, my friend, let's get into this. Let's now get into learning more about Newcastle United. So let's just start here by just talking about the season so far through your eyes. Yeah, it's been a very disappointing season. Um, very disappointing. Some of the club decided, uh, unlike every other thing, every other Premier League club, um, to rather than spend any of the money, the vast sums of money it generates by being in the Premier League, it decided not to back the manager, and that has led to him not signing a new contract. So the minute it looks like Rafa Benitez will be leaving the castle in May, and the season oh. has been very poor. Um, and you know, we finished tenth last season which is not bad for newly promoted club. We spent very little money last season as well. Um, and it just, uh, it's a very sad situation at Newcastle because the club has the money to spend, um, but the owner, for whatever reason, whether it be spite, whether it be lack of ability to, to run a football club properly, is um, not allowing the football club to spend its own money. And I think that's an important caveat because you, you hear a lot in the media about why would Mike Ashley invest in Newcastle United? Well, I don't want Mike Ashley to invest in Newcastle United. I don't want his money. <laughs> Um, I want the club to spend its own money. Sure. Um, but as it is, we you know you look at most weeks, we play teams where one player of the opposition costs more than our whole starting eleven. You know, we played a very good West Ham side like you the other week and yes. lost three 0 Well, Felipe Anderson costs more than all of the Newcastle players put together. <laughs> um, and that's that that shouldn't be you know as a fan. I, I don't demand. I'm sure you guys are the same at Fulham. You just want to see your team be the best it possibly can be. Absolutely. Whatever, whatever league it's in, I don't demand success or trophies. I mean, I would be, you know, very bad at demanding things if I demanded trophies as a Newcastle fan. Same with Fulham, I suppose. But, you know, you know, you pay your season ticket money, you invest the time in, and, and the people who run the club don't share the same passion, in my opinion, for the football club. And they are aiming for 17th, despite finishing 10th last season. And so, uh, 
it's a demoralised place at the minute. And having said that, there's been a couple of good results, but it's just totally unnecessary the the position the club find themselves in. There is a fortune to spend, and they're refusing to spend it. So it's been a bad season, very dejected so far. Support Newcastle. Well, Alex, I'm glad that you talked about Mike Ashley because it starts at the top. If your owner doesn't back your team, then it's an uphill struggle. So I understand where you're coming from. That that's where we start. You know, we're, we're going to be talking about. Rafa in just a second but for me this is the puzzling part but you kind of talk about this you just want the team to invest in their future into the here and now as well and for some reason Ashley just refuses to do this yeah um I think it's just a lack of interest to be honest with you he has no interest in the football club and he would rather that the club had millions of pounds in the bank in the case of a relegation so that he wouldn't have to plug the, the shortfall or there wouldn't be financial issues. Um, but it, it's it's worse. I mean, you get bad owners in football. It's Newcastle are far yes. from the only club in, in British or world football to have a bad owner. The, the difference between our owners and other owners is that Mike Ashley just, just, he just doesn't care. He doesn't take any satisfaction from the team doing well. So when the people who run the club on his behalf, because he actually doesn't have a formal role at the club, although he owns it, um, he, you know, they, they are essentially told to, to slash costs wherever possible. Newcastle have the fourth um, lowest wage bill in the division, um, you know, and it, it, it's just it's just all a bit pointless. He's, he's not interested. He doesn't care. He, he started attending games again this season, but that looks like it was part of the ploy to try and sell the club, which is supposedly close to happening but we've been here numerous times before but yeah the guy is just not interested in, in, in owning a football club I'm sure he regrets it massively when he bought it um, we regret it massively and ultimately the club has absolutely no future under Mike Ashley and if, if, if Mike Ashley doesn't sell the club on this occasion and Rafa Benitez leaves this summer which he will if Mike Ashley's still here then you will see tens of thousands of people walk away from the football club in terms of season tickets yeah listen this is a a very bad situation for you. And there are two type of owners for me, one that will spend and one that won't. And unfortunately, Newcastle United have one that won't. And uh, shame on him. I'm going to say that right now. He should not be owning Newcastle United. And it's unfair to the fans that support this team that you have an owner that just doesn't care, like you said. And uh, I'm again, it irritates me beyond belief because if you don't have the backing of the owner, you it's just it's very difficult to survive. And to Newcastle's credit, you actually did better than survive. You got tenth last season, and but it could be much better if there was some investment. You have a proper manager, and let's talk about that right now, because now that you've talked a little bit about what's been going on behind the scenes with ownership, you have a manager, Rafa Benitez, who has quite the resume and is quite the manager. So let's talk about his time at Newcastle United because I think now since you explained the situation with Mike Ashley, and I knew all that anyways, what's been going on with Rafa Benitez to me is even more impressive. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's done a a staggering job since he's come here. I mean, it it should be said that getting the vast majority of teams that are relegated from the Premier League um, I think it's one in seven sides return to the Premier League at the first attempt the vast majority of teams that are relegated from the Premier League don't come back up um, so to come to get to get that squad and bear in mind in the Championship he made a £30 million profit 
on player sales. I mean, compare that to the teams in the championship this season, like West Brom, who spent heavily, yeah. Middlesbrough have spent heavily. Um, you know, who who else went down? Someone else went down who spent heavily. But and credit to those clubs, by the way, that they're, they're they're trying to get back to the Premier League. It makes perfect sense. Rafa Benitez made a transfer profit of thirty million pounds, still won the championship, um, and got us back up. And then last season again, I think. Brighton spent about 100 million. We, uh, Huddersfield, even Huddersfield spent 50 million. We spent about a million pounds and, and got the team to tent. It's, it's almost miraculous. And it's, he's the best manager I've ever seen. And I include the greats of Bobby Robson in that and I include Kevin Keegan in that. Rafa Benitez is the best manager that I will ever see in Newcastle. And the, the ability to turn players who would not get close to some other Premier League starting 11s, the likes of Modi Arme. Yep. The likes of Kay Sung Young, the likes of um, you know Javier Manquillo or DeAndre Yedlin or um, Paul Dummett, um, you know these players or Isaac Perez, these these players cost either nothing or they cost like you know less than five million pounds. And in the modern day Premier League, to turn someone like DeAndre Yedlin, who you know wasn't wanted by Sunderland when they were relegated, who wasn't wanted by Tottenham. He's now one of our most important players, and he's, he's, I think he's a really good footballer. And I Rafa agree. By the way, doesn't doesn't just he doesn't just get the best out of players. He makes players better. I've never seen a manager in Newcastle take players who, when they come through the door, under a certain level, and in two or three years' time, are established Premier League players. He's he's, he's a fantastic trainer and coach, and you're spot on with with what what Mike Ashley's doing. It would be sad anyway, but the fact that we've got this opportunity to to not even not give Rafa Benitez sums of money to even compete with teams in the top, top six, but just compete with the teams of like Bournemouth, Huddersfield, right. Brighton. If he was given those sums of money, then we would be competing in the top six. That's how good a manager he is. I mean, at the minute, he, he's, his overall spend in Newcastle is something like minus £50 million since he's come in and he's taken a team that was relegated to the top 10 and he's going to keep them up again, I imagine. Um, to do that on minus fifty million pounds in the age when you know, and this isn't me. I'm not criticising any team that spends money. That's the sure. whole point. That's, that's the point of the game is to improve your team. It's not a criticism right. of any other team. Um, but for him to achieve what he's achieved with the players that he has done it with is, um, I'll, I think, nearly every single Newcastle fan um, is just in awe that he's, he's hung around at all. But he, he is he is gone in the summer. Rafa Benitez yeah. wants to be managing in the Champions League. Um, who wants to be winning titles. He, he said the other day in an interview, he has about 10 years left, he feels, at, at the top of management. He wants to spend those 10 years at a club that has an ounce of ambition to do well. And I, you know, I look at Manchester United now, and I think they're crazy not to go for a manager like Rafa Benitez, who's won Champions League, who's won La Liga's. Um, and, he, you know, if you look at what he does in the Premier League and how well he knows the Premier League, um, he would be the perfect manager for Man United. They don't seem interested, and I'm, I'm happy about that. But... <laughs> I'll, yeah, it'll be a huge loss if if we lose him. And um, you know, as I say, it's just uh, it's just a privilege to be able to watch his sides. And that's you know, I'm not. I'll be honest, we're not a very good side. We are a bad team um, trying to survive. We don't play good football. We play very defensive football. But he he can only do what he can do with the players that he has. Now, if you look at even a team like Fulham, yep. or you know, or a team like Wolves, or you know, a team like Brighton, if you look at the um, money that they've been able to spend on attacking good attacking players. You know, Jose Perez was £1.5 million from Tenerife four years ago. And he's he's, he's a good lad and he, he tries hard and you'll get your eight goals a season. But I can't see any other Premier League team thinking, oh, you know what, we'll take Jose Perez because he, he's a, you know, he's a hugely divisive player because ultimately he's not very good. 
um, and he frustrates a lot of fans and he does his best. And I think Rafa Benitez's ability to turn these players into Premier League players when they're, they're really they're not is something that I'll always remember as a, an incredible feat of management. Well, that's, again, a, a good sign of a true manager, someone that really can turn a player that's at one level and make him even better. And that is a credit to him. I'm glad that you mentioned Jose Perez because this goes back to me listening to your podcast. He sounds like a very divisive player amongst um, Newcastle United fans. And, and listen, Fulham have had players like that too, so I could really relate when you were talking about Jose Perez. But think about it. Like you said, the amount of money that was spent on him and what you've been able to get out of him, that just talks about not just Benitez, but also you have to give Perez a lot of credit for, for uh, raising his game to take to, oh, take to the yeah, coaching, definitely. you know, and that's definitely. the thing. Again, while we're talking about this, all of your players, you know, we can say that, that this is not the greatest Newcastle United team talent wise. Well, but they're taking the coaching and they're playing as a team. And that to me is a key. And you talked about Fulham and we've talked about this a lot that Fulham have spent all this money and do have a lot of attacking players, but they need to play as a team defensively and a, of course, offensively, and right now you have a manager that has your team playing together, and that's what Fulham need to do moving forward. But let's move on because, um, again, I, I want to reference your show because you were talking about Solomon Rondon so far this season. It sounds like he's been very important for you. So let's talk about his impact. He's been massive now. now it's, it's a little bit of a Fulham connection here because – Dwight Gale was our centre forward last season, and I think, right. I think Dwight Gale is a really good player. I'm really disappointed he's gone. A lot. Can I just tell you how long we've, got... we've had sorry. this link with? I'm sorry to break in. Yeah. We've had such a link with Dwight Gale for several years. Yeah, and I know that, and I know that last year because I'm fortunate through you know whatever you know be able to speak to journalists or whatever or people from the club that when Fulham got Mitrovic last season, Dwight Gale was their first choice, but we said we said no. Um, we said, um, we said no. Um, we'd much rather you take Mitrovic um, than Dwight Gale because, you know, for whatever reason, he was a first-team player. Um, uh, and they said, well, how about Mitrovic? And obviously, you guys love Mitrovic and cost a lot of money. But yep. Um, yep. it was always it was always known that this this season that um, you know Mitrovic had to be replaced. There needed to be a, an attacking player who was able to hold up the ball, who was able to score headers in the box, which isn't Dwight's game. Um, and in order to get Rondon from um, West Brom would have to send them Dwight Gill because they weren't going to lose one of their best players. Um, so it's, it's, I've always found it interesting to see if, if Fulham had have gotten Dwight Gale, um when they, when they wanted them over Mitrovic, kind of what would have happened in terms of it's it worked out very well for Fulham that like you got the it player has. you wanted, he scored goals to get you promoted, but it could have been a lot different and we could have ended up with with Mitrovic up front this season. Um, but yeah, so in terms of Rondon, it was a massive it was a massive if amongst the fan base. Whether losing him was, um, you know, losing Gale to gain Rondon, he's not a good deal because Gale didn't score the goals last season, but he was hugely influential in all of all, in all of our big wins and all of our performances that were, um, you know, notable, like beating Manchester United, beating Arsenal, beating Chelsea. Gale didn't score, but he was absolutely brilliant. Um, Rondon managed to, you know, win over that argument quite convincingly, quite quickly. Um, he's an absolute superstar. He's, he he knows how to play in the Premier League alone up front, which is important. You mentioned there, and you were spot on about Rafa building the team. Yep. Um, like you know, Rondon is a team player. He grafts, he runs, he does the closing down. He 
he hurries, he hustles, he wins free kicks. For for teams at the bottom of the table who aren't going to have much possession, he's an essential player. Um, he's a player who fans are growing to love. And the, the best thing I can say about him is he's clinical because we don't create enough chances. And this was maybe one, one of Dwight Gill's problems. If we're only going to create one or two clear-cut chances a game, you're sent forwards. And this is Mitter Rich's problem under Rafa. You've got to take them. And Rondon is clinical. He gets one chance and he scores. And they're not easy chances always either. Um, and he scores. And that's, that's the key thing about him. So he's, he's perfect for us at the minute. It's just a shame he's only on loan um, from West Brom. And it's a shame that because Newcastle are, well, the, the way they run, the way they run, he failed to come in to get any pre-season minutes at all. So for the first six weeks of the season, he was unfit. And then what happens when you're unfit? You get injured. And we didn't start to see him really until late October. So he's kind of a brand new player to the team. Um, but, you know, since he's come back in and since he started playing well, he's I would hate to defend against him personally. He's such a big guy. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's been a fantastic addition in Newcastle. If he stays fit this season, we will be absolutely fine. It's just that big if because, unfortunately, there is, there is no one beneath him ready to come in. We don't have another first-team centre-forward or striker because um, that's just the way the clubs run. Sure. And it's funny you say that because, again, I'm referencing your podcast because you were talking about, well, what happens if you lose Rondon? And I'm thinking the same thing. What happens to Fulham if they lose Mitrovic because they really don't yeah. have anyone behind him? People can talk about Abubakar Kamara, but he is not a, a clinical striker at all. He's just a raw talent. But we're kind of in the same situation that you are with Rondon. So it's very interesting. We'll be talking about Mitro. I want your thoughts about him in a little bit when we start to focus on Fulham. But let's move on. Let's get into strengths and weaknesses of Newcastle United, and I do this each and every week, Alex. I, I just go to whoscore.com and just read off what they say about your club, see if they match up. They might not. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. So let's start with what they list as your strengths and also your style of play, and that'll just get us going here. This is what whoscore.com says about Newcastle United, creating scoring chances. Now, you just talked a little bit about that, so I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Stealing the ball from the opposition. Those are the two strengths they list. And they say style of play, play with width, take a lot of shots, take long shots, long balls, attempt crosses often, playing in their own half, aggressive, rotate their first 11. So that is style of play. And then I mentioned at the beginning, strengths. Your thoughts. Does that match up? Yeah, broadly matches up. And. Um... You know, D- Key and Diarmé in the middle of the pitch are experienced Premier League players who don't mind putting their foot in, and they really try. And, with Perez playing as a kind of, you know, front of that, of, in front of those two, but not alongside the striker, their role is to try and turn over possession quickly to counter attack. Um, and yeah, we do get the ball out wide for Rondon, balls in the box for Rondon. So yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with any of that. Okay. And this is what WhoScored.com says about weaknesses, and this will kind of go to what you were talking about prior. Finishing scoring chances, you've already talked about that. Protecting the lead. And then it says very weak, these items here. Keeping possession of the ball. Defending set pieces. Avoiding fouling in dangerous areas. So do you agree with those weaknesses? And if you don't, feel free to share one. No, I agree. I I, I agree with them. I mean, it, it, it's infuriating at the weekend seeing how many set pieces we gave Huddersfield in and around our box. <laughs> um, that's annoying. I mean... I would say defending, we have conceded quite a few goals from set pieces this season. However, we also defend a lot of set pieces for the reason yep. above. And I think that right. defensively, our, our biggest strength is defending. We don't concede many goals. We tend to nick games 
um, you know, like like Saturday, very tight games. We tend to do okay in them. Um, the biggest weakness that we've got that like, isn't listed there is like if Fulham take the lead, they'll win the game. We can't come back from a goal down. And uh, when teams sit deep and try and keep us out, we can only play without the ball. We don't. It's almost like we don't want possession. If Fulham were to come and try and dominate the ball, then that would be in Newcastle's best interest. What Fulham should do is come and play on the counter attack. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I agree with that. Go though, ahead. I totally agree yeah, with that. Go ahead. Watford and Bournemouth try to play in the counter attack, and what happens is, if what if you try and play in the counter attack and we take the lead, then we, then we're very good in home games at defending our leads. Um, so it's it, it's a double edged sword, and I'm, yep. I'm sure the managers don't need me or you to tell them that. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the big weakness is if we go, we, Rafa Benitez has a meticulous plan A for yep. the players that he has at his disposal, but there isn't much of a plan B. And if we go one nil down, but like me and my friends joke that hope we may as well just get off <laughs> you know if you're in the ground and, and like the other team scores the first goal it's like well, we may as well just go home um so that first goal i mean the, the first goal is crucial in the premier league anyway sure. um but yeah i think it's more you know with newcastle particularly at home it's it's a real problem uh not being able to react to going a goal behind well i think it's key in this match regardless for both teams because fulham needed for their confidence levels to go up so Whoever scores the first goal, I think, is going to control the match. I think it's very interesting that we're talking about that. I know it's simplistic to say the first goal because, like you said, every team talks about it. But with these two teams, I think it's actually vital. So uh, that's something to definitely watch. Let me ask you, who do you see as your key players for Newcastle United to beat Fulham? Yeah, well, when we talk about Solomon Rondon, he's he's really important. Um, you know, Kennedy is a player who is – you know, in terrible form and is, you know, a, a real divider of fans. One thing, there is no doubt that he has an incredible level of ability and talent. Um, whether he plays or not, I don't know, because he was so bad against Huddersfield. But if, if Kennedy plays well, then the whole team tends to play well. Um, so I'd say Rondon, Kennedy, um, and then the, the rest of the team, it's hard to predict who will play because Rafa does change it quite a lot. Okay. Uh, depending on the opposition, but um, I definitely think those two, if those two players, Ron and Kennedy, have good games, I'd, I'd imagine Newcastle will win the game. Okay. Now we're going to talk about what I think is going to be a huge chess match between the two managers. It's going to be your formation. I'm fascinated by this. Like I said, I keep referencing the podcast, but you were talking about the two different formations. Is it going to be a back four or back five? So what are your thoughts about this? What do you think will be his strategy to beating Fulham, which formation do you think he's going to use? To be honest with you, I've I've no idea. It's it's so hard to call. Like we went to Huddersfield thinking we've got to play a back four. We played a back five against Wolves the previous week. We thought we'd go with a back four. It was a back five. I, if it was me, I would go with a back four because it's a game that we have to win. And the more you know, if you're playing with five at the back, you have less attacking players on the pitch. Right. That said, we picked up two wins and a draw at Everton away from home in the last three. So that's seven points from nine, playing a back five. Playing a back five, we'll go back to this possession-based or counter-attacking style. You can't play a counter-attacking game at home with a back five. It's it's almost impossible. Um, And, you know, I don't know. I think, or sorry, I'd imagine, and you can correct me here, Fulham tend to play with just Mitrovic. So if Fulham are only playing with one striker, is there a need for a back five? And particularly a striker who, who the defenders will know very well. Um, you'd, you'd hope anyway. I think you'll play with a back four. You'll bring Paul Dummett back in as a as a left back because he's a six foot two left back. 
um, and he's very good at defending set pieces and, and the like. So I'd imagine he goes with the back four. But I, what in terms of the rest of the team, it's it's a hard one for me to call um, in terms of who will play. Part the central midfield too will be sure. um, Diarmi, Key, and Rondon and Perez will play. But the wingers could be you know it could be Atsu, it could be Kennedy, it could be Matt Ritchie, it could be Jacob Murphy. It, it changes that regularly. But the good thing is DeAndre Yedlin was suspended for Saturday and now he's back. That's a big boost. Okay, very interesting about Yedlin. Obviously. Being here in America, I'm very familiar with DeAndre Yedlin. It's good to see him flourishing at Newcastle United. That's actually something that I've been watching. I'm glad to hear that from you. But to go back to talking about the formation, this is what fascinates me because, yes, to your point, I think mostly it's been Mitrovic up front, but he has tinkered a little bit. You know, obviously, Claudio Ranieri is the tinker man, and he's been doing that. He has played uh, a little bit of two up front, but I think the majority of it has been more say, four two three one with with Mitro as being your, your focal. So, you know, again, it's just fascinating to see what Roth is going to do and then also what Claudia Ranieri is going to do. And then that leads me to ask you about Ranieri. What were your thoughts about the hiring? About the hiring of Ranieri? Yes. Um, it, yeah, from the outside looking in, it was just a strange one to, I mean, I, I know you were, the form wasn't great. Um, under Ikanovic, but I just thought for, for considering he'd been there so long um, and he, that was his team and he managed to, I don't know, I, I, I almost think like, well, if he did get relegated, who would you want to bring you back up? Um, you know, Burnley, for example, stuck with Daesh yes. when they got relegated the first time. He brought them straight back up, which we've already discussed is a hard thing to do. Most teams don't manage that. And I just thought, well, Ikanovic would know the division you, you would know the players, and I think he would have a great chance, whereas Ranieri either won't stay or he doesn't know the championship. I don't think he's ever managed in the championship. Um, so from a long-term perspective, I thought it was a strange move. And I also kind of, just looking at social media, knew that you kind of it seemed to still have the vast majority of the supporters behind them. Normally, when a manager loses their job, the fans have turned. You look at Mourinho today, hugely unpopular with a lot of Man United supporters. Right. Um, so it was a strange one from me. It was split, by the way, Alex. It was completely split. Right. Was it? Okay. Um, and in terms of the selection, obviously, Ranieri's, uh, you know, great manager, um, won the league with less than lost his job in a very unfair circumstances, I think. Um, is he is he an expert at a relegation scrap? Uh, I'm not sure. I know I know he made the point that he did a, almost achieve a miracle with Palmer about 10 years ago in Serie A. So he has done it before, not in England, but he has done it. Um, it's a strange one because it, it almost signals to me that it was an appointment for kind of the future that we're going to stay up and then Ranieri is the man to take us up the league because he could have gone for someone like Sam Allardyce or David Moyes or someone like that who you kind of know will definitely keep you up for one season but don't give you anything more than that. So maybe Ranieri is quite an ambitious appointment. Yeah, I don't know. In a way, yeah. The outside of the situation. An ambitious appointment, maybe looking more long term. However, you know, staying in the Premier League is not going to be easy. I mean, if if you were to lose this game this weekend, you'd be ten points behind us, and we're a relegation rival. Yeah. And with having only picked up nine points all season, you think a ten point gap on a rival is almost impossible. Um, and I know you mentioned on the podcast that we did that you have um, two really really winnable games um, over Christmas. You know that could completely transform your season. I suppose this one as well. You could include these three yeah. games if you were to pick up say seven points. Then you, you know your season's looking a lot healthier. So it's yeah, time will tell. I suppose on whether it was the right decision or not. I know you're very very keen on them and thought it was a good appointment. 
I thought it was a good appointment, but like I said, I was also on the uh, wavelength that you talked about with Jokanovich because I thought, well, hey, the worst case scenario is that you have Slavisa in the championship, and uh, I think there would be a good chance because he knows the division. Like you talked about that, we could come back up. So that's why I, I would have stayed the course, but that wasn't the decision. And the appointment, I understand, but it's com- completely different type of manager from Jokanovich whereas we have all these attacking players and not that Ranieri doesn't want to attack, but he's more defensive-minded. So there's been a switch. Like I said, it's more counterattacking now from Fulham than what you might remember from Fulham in the championship. We look completely different. I'm going to be honest with you. It's If you're expecting the team under Jokanovic, you're not going to see it. You know, I'm, you still have talented players that try to play the nice football at times, but they are – approaching the game very differently with a different mentality. And uh, so it's going to look different to you if you remember the uh, team from last season. It, it just is. All right, so let's get your thoughts quickly on Fulham just in general and, and players that concern you from a Newcastle United perspective. Well, the, the key thing you look at Fulham and you look at the league table is the sheer number of goals they conceded. It's quite yep. staggering. Um and it, it's, it, it seems to be like it's just a general issue, not like one week you get beat 6-0, the next week it's like all right. It's just a general game after game after game. So it, it looks like, if, you know, in the Premier League, if you've got to score three goals to win a game, you're going to get relegated. So that's clearly one year. Well, I agree with You know, like, and, and I, I can't talk too much about Fulham's defense, I don't know, like, I don't know how good, the, whether it's because the players aren't good enough, because of whether the system, because of whether the players in front of the defense, I don't know. I'm sure that's a big job for, for Anieri. So he'll yeah. he'll have, have to sort that. If he doesn't sort that out, then there's no coming back from it. Um, sure. Two times we played Fulham in the championship. Fulham were very good at Newcastle. They really good uh, for a 3-1 win, I think. Um, St. James is one of the best teams we played. But again, I caveat, caveat that with, they got the first goal before that in that game in the championship, Fulham, and it was a really even game. It was a very open game. And Fulham scored a really good goal through Kenny, and then yeah, that was I remember just typical that. under Rafa. Once we once the first goal goes in, the game is just up. Like the players kind of just knew it was the same in the championship. Um, wow. So Fulham were very good then, and if they were able to reproduce that counter-attacking performance, I'm sure that would be very good. But obviously that day they played with a huge amount of confidence and swagger, which you know in a Premier League relegation battle is different, and also a lot of the players will be different. Um, you know, so uh, you know a lot of Newcastle fans. You, you play the team who's bottom of the league without being disrespectful. You would really hope to get a result um, against them, and we have a nightmare run of fixtures again in January and February. So people are looking at this fixture saying anything less than three points is you're going to have to go to Liverpool. Um, you're going to have to host Manchester City, Manchester United, go to yep. Spurs and get something. You'd much rather just do the business at home against against uh, against Fulham. In terms of players, I know you spent some big money on players, and I know you mentioned um, is it Sari, who I think yep. that's how you pronounce it, um, is, is yeah. splitting opinion. hasn't Yeah, hasn't really lived up to opinion. Mitrovic, we know all about. He, he, Mitrovic was really popular with with sections of Newcastle support because of his passion, um, and he was really unpopular with sections of the support because of you know his childishness. And it seems like he's grown up a little bit at Fulham. I think. Maybe being left out of Newcastle squad totally for a number of months in a World Cup year before he got that move to Fulham really has woken him up because he does you know he had massive on-field disciplinary. He was a liability. I, I think he was a liability in Newcastle. He he would elbow players for no reason. He would kick them off the ball. 
Wow. And he was either getting sent off, he was either getting sent off, retrospectively banned, or in danger of one of the two every time he played. And some fans kind of like that edge that he had about him. To others and to me, it was just you just want your players to to play and try and score, not harm the opposition. But it, you know, as I said, it seems like he's totally clutched out of his game. I think you've got to look at your previous manager, probably for. Yes. You know, whether it was the fact they were the same nationality or they got they bonded well, he's clearly had a massive um, influence on Mitrovic's career. Um, so I think he, he's one that a lot of Newcastle players watch. Andre Schurler, obviously we all know him from Chelsea. Again, I don't know how he's done this season in terms of, you know, he scored a really good goal, I think, at Cardiff. But, um, you know, Fulham have got a lot of good players, good footballers, good technical players, probably better than a lot of Newcastle's players, but... If you know it's going to be cold, it's going to be fifty-two thousand at St James's um, just before Christmas. It should be a really good atmosphere, um, you know, and it's, it should be a really good game of football. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, well, again, the way I'm looking at this, whoever plays the best as a team, it's very simplistic to say, but this is where Fulham need to get at because they can create opportunities. They did against West Ham, but two things that hurt them in that match, Alex, is that they were not clinical at all, and Again, they made the mistakes that can kill you. So when you aren't clinical and you give up the opportunities on only a few counterattacks and they score on two of them, they're basically three in the match, then you're going to lose. You, you know, it's the combination of mistakes and not being clinical enough. And that's where Fulham are. And that's hopefully what they need to grow into being better as a team playing team defense, team offense going forward and once they get that I think Fulham can start going forward but until they do this is the problem they have the talent to get out of this but can they put it all together and um, I want to move on but I want to thank you for talking a little bit about Mitro because I was going to ask you that but you've already touched on that that and I understand that but what's interesting from a Fulham perspective everything that you said he's actually you know again he's grown up he's he's done all this we have seen very little of those issues. Yes, he does still get yellow cards. There was one incident last season at Millwall that kind of went to what you're talking about, but it didn't end up hurting Fulham. So I get that a little bit, but he's loved it, Fulham. Uh, he really is. The The fans love him, and uh, he really has taken to Fulham. So in a way, I think it's worked out for both sides. He wasn't going to fit in with you, and he fits in with Fulham. But let, let's move on. Let's go through my uh, section I call matchups. So let's now get your view on this. Fulham's attack versus Newcastle's defense. And again, listening to your podcast, I think the defense has been the strong point for Newcastle. So who do you give the advantage to here? Well, I, I'd probably say Newcastle's defense, but only marginally. The defense has been much better away from home than it has at home. However, because of injuries, um, there's very rarely been a settled back four. Um, which is one of the reasons why Rafa went to the back five, um, because he, you know, he had to include players who he wasn't necessarily comfortable with, like Javier Manquillo. Um, I'll ju- just edge it purely because our goalkeeper is one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Yep. <laughs> and if Fulham do create chances, then I'll, I'll, you know, they've got to get past Dubravka, who was just a sensational, sensational player, um, who continues to fly under the radar of the general football media and football public, which is fine with us because <laughs> we wanted to stay. Okay, now let's flip it. Newcastle's attack versus Fulham's defense. We know how poor Fulham's defense is, so I'm going to just guess you're going to go with Newcastle on this one. 
Yeah, I'll go with Newcastle, but again, only just because Newcastle don't score many goals at all, um, especially at home. Um, so it, it all boils down to Rondon and the service he gets. If, if Fulham can kind of win the midfield battle and starve us of possession around the final third or stop us counter-attacking, and Rondon doesn't get any service, Newcastle won't score. So, yeah, I'm, I appreciate I'm giving you a complicated answer to a simple <laughs> question. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go for Newcastle's attack just because Fulham's record has been so bad before this game. I understand that, my friend. All right, let's now go to what I call who has the coaching advantage. This one's fascinating because you have two accomplished managers. You have Ranieri versus Benitez. And what's interesting is that, you know, and again, I'm going to ask you about this. There's a part of me that could see the advantage for either one. But does this really come down to the chess match? Who scores the first goal? Yeah, I think it does. I think whoever scores... I'd say, again, I'm biased, but I'd say if Fulham score the first goal, they're away from home and they might get put under a lot more pressure being away from home for Newcastle to score. Um, so if Fulham score the first goal, we might be able to get back into it. But I'd say if Newcastle score the first goal, it would be very hard for Fulham, um, purely because you know when if you're a team like Fulham, bottom of the league, no confidence, know that if you lose this game, you might be cut off. Um, it's very difficult to to try and get back into a game without leaving gaps at the back. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting, but yeah, I, I agree with you though, Brody, yeah, first goal wins it. Okay, very good. I just want to mention this. I did watch the Burnley match. It's funny, we're talking about getting that early goal. I'm going to say this because this is what was fascinating. I've watched this several times. How did Matt Ritchie not score? Yeah, I was in. I was at Burnley. I was in the away end. And it's, I don't know if any of your listeners uh, have been in the away end at Burnley, but it's, it's not the best. Stadium, and um, you know, I'm sure there are no Burnley fans listening. But no disrespect, it's you know, it's a nice place and it's yep. a working class football area. But it's it, so we couldn't actually see. We thought he'd scored because you just <laughs> we wouldn't have been able to see the ball going into the net from the angle we were at. So yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking that he did score. Yeah. He won the game. Um, we, we we're just like we're just going to have to ignore that one and just put it. You know, the Premier League should just give him the goal because I don't know how he didn't score either. <laughs> I have no idea either, but what was fascinating about this match, because I was watching more about Burnley, because Fulmer really, you know, obviously closer to Burnley at this point, but, you know, obviously keeping an eye on on Newcastle as well. But is that a typical match for you this season where you just find a way to win? Well, that that was the first game playing this five at the back. So we okay. talk about the formation, and that was the first game that Rafa did it. I mean, he did it at Man City earlier this season, but that's you know a one-off fixture, really Man City away. Um, and that was, yeah, that was a. I think that was a, a game where Rafa really he won that game because I know the players played well, but um, that was because Burnley have two big lads up front. Rafa yep. with three centre backs. So you lose the first ball. Chris Wood will always win a header. Um, so to win the second ball, and it was it was a perfect tactical masterclass, in my opinion, from the manager. Um, and that was a that was a really important game because if we'd have lost that game, we'd have been in the relegation zone. And the key thing about Rafa Benitez this season, uh, the season before, is any time there is major pressure. Now there isn't major pressure on us this week because of the win last week, so I don't conclude this fixture. There is sure. major pressure on Fulham. Any time we've been close to the relegation zone at all, we've won. Any time. And in three games last season, we went we went into in the relegation zone. West Ham away. West Ham had just beaten Chelsea at home and drew with Arsenal at home under David Moyes. Stoke away and Man United at home. And we won all of those games. And Burnley was the same thing. And then Huddersfield was the same thing. 
every time we've had a game that we've been close to even going in the relegation zone, we've won. So when it when it really matters, he always finds a way. Yeah. But that doesn't. I'm not including this game. I think it's a massive game for Newcastle, but it's sure. Newcastle could still lose this game and stay up. I'm not entirely sure Fulham could could lose this game and stay up. I think obviously with the two games you've got after, yep. they're helpful. But if you lose this game, and um, you know there are a couple of I can't remember who's, but what you know I think it's Southampton playing Huddersfield, so one of them has got to pick up points. Sure. So I think if you lose this game for the first time this season or, or since Ranieri's came in anyway, you'll be at least four or five points off the off the survival. When it's really hard in the Premier League to pick up two results um, to get out, so it's a massive game. And yeah, Burnley was just one of those massive wins which we've come which we've come accustomed to under this manager. Right, but again, what, what was interesting about you beating Huddersfield Town, I've seen the stats and I've seen some highlights of it, but it again goes back to this finding a way to win and, and you have that under uh, Rafa Benitez and that's what Fulham need to do. They just need to find ways to win at this point. All right, let's now get two predictions, this section that I have, and let's just go right to here. I just want your view. What does Newcastle need to do to, to win this match? We've already talked about the first goal. I understand that. Anything else that you feel they need to do to win this match? They they need to put, push Fulham back. They need to make Fulham do what Fulham don't like doing, and, and that's defending. Make 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 Fulham face their own goal. Um, get get play Matt Ritchie, play Kennedy. Get ball after ball after ball into the penalty area because Rondon will thrive um, against Fulham centre backs. So that's that's what I'd say is be attacking. Yep. Don't don't. Don't try and play a slow-paced, you know, possession game which plays in the Fulham and Ranieri's hands, um, and and just no silly mistakes. You know, against Wolves, we were the better team against Wolves. You know, shot ourselves in the foot. Ten men with heart. You know, had to play forty minutes with ten men almost. Um, in other games this season against Leicester, we played Leicester at home, gave away a silly penalty. Um, you know, just no silly mistakes at the back. You know, a lot of these teams, Brighton, um, Brighton have won at St James's Park, uh, Wolves have won at St James's Park, Leicester have won at St James's Park. On all of those occasions, our keeper hasn't actually made a save. Um, it's just been the goal, and that's it. And it's yep. and all of the goals on those occasions are not a silly defensive errors. But now I think that the, you know, there'd be a first, almost a first choice without Lejeune, back five to choose yep. from, back four, back five to choose from that. So you know, no mistakes, and make Fulham defend. So go out, be positive, attack, front foot. And we should win the game. I would say, and I'll add this to you, make full make mistakes. And I think that goes along with what you're saying. You don't make mistakes, yeah. make full make mistakes, because that's where they're vulnerable, is that, uh, as I mentioned before, it's being clinical and making their own errors. That's where they've had a very hard time. That uh, lethal combination that's terrible for a, a team is not being able to score, and then you make your own mistakes to lose matches. All right, what does Fulham need to do to win this match? Yeah, Fulham play deep, which is hard because you have to defend more. Yep. Um, play, play deep, but play on the counter-attack. Don't be afraid totally to agree. leave men up from set pieces. Leave men up from set pieces. Don't bring everyone back. You cast are vulnerable on the counter-attack from set pieces. Um, and don't, don't you know, Fulham, Fulham don't want to get it bogged down, I think, into a kind of physical game. Because our 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 guys, Lascelles, Diame, Key Keystone Young, they're they're like big physical footballers with loads of Premier League experience. And Huddersfield tried to do that at the weekend, and that's one of the reasons they lost. They got bogged down in midfield with sliding tackles and complaining to the referee. And I think there's only one winner in terms of Premier League experience with the guys we've got um, and the power they've got. 
So Fulham should play fast counter-attacking football, not be afraid to commit men forwards to counter-attacks, even though you know you leave yourself exposed a little bit. Right. Um, so just be just be positive, but also don't you know don't try and control the game, don't try and dominate possession because that will that will play in Newcastle's hands. Okay, I pretty much agree with everything that you're saying there, my friend. All right, let's go to your prediction, then I'll share mine. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, you know, Dubravka's kept four or five clean sheets this season, all the way from home. You know, we've been defending well at home, but just conceding the odd sloppy goal. So I'm I'm going to back Newcastle to to pick up a a clean sheet and win 2-0. Okay. I said this on your show, so I'm not going to change my mind on this. I think, uh, you know, again, there have been two steps forward, one step back. That's what's been going on in the last match. There was certainly one step back, but I've also seen progress under Ranieri. I think it all kind of leads up to this. We'll see. We'll see if I'm right or wrong, but I'm going for a 2-1 to Fulham victory because, uh, as we're talking about, Alex, and you've already mentioned this, Fulham need the points. They they do. Uh, be, if not, there it puts them under a lot of pressure, like I said, the next two matches. But you also bring up a good point about who's around them and that match that, again, in the relegation zone or around us, that could affect them. You know, again, they lose this match. They could all of a sudden be four points away now, and then then it really gets tough on them, and you don't want to get too far away. So I could see where you're going on that. It, it could be a, a difficult situation for Fulham. So they need it, and that's why I'm going for a Fulham victory. All right. Great show. Alex, thank you so much for doing this. Anytime, Russ, anytime. All right. Before I go, like we said at the beginning of the show, just tell everyone how they can follow the podcast on Twitter and uh, and share anything else you want about the podcast. Yeah, we're at TF Weekly Pod on on Twitter, and um, we, you know, we, you know, if you, I, I personally, rather than consume mainstream media, I listen to a lot of football podcasts to try and get what the fans of these clubs, are, you know, actually think. Cottage Talk is one of them, um, you know. So if you're ever interested in a, a genuine view, because Newcastle fans get a hard time from the the national media yep. and international media about being demanding, and it's just it's just not true. Um, it, you couldn't find them more patient set of football supporters in my view um so you know if you want the real story about what's going on in Newcastle then yeah give us a listen I totally agree Alex like I said I've been saying this throughout the show I thoroughly enjoyed your podcast and I got so much out of it and it helped me prepare for this show obviously but it really gave me a flavor of what to expect on Saturday between our clubs and uh you know it's funny because I'm glad that you started off by talking about the whole situation with your ownership, because it's important to mention that, that, you know, and again, um, most fans of uh, most teams know the situation with Ashley, but to talk about it is a different thing. And that's why I'm glad that we had this little discussion, my friend, any final thoughts before we go? Just best of luck and uh, best of luck to Fulham this season. I always enjoy my trips to, to, uh, to Fulham, uh, to decent away trip for any castle fans. So, you know, hope you, hope you stay up and, uh, I hope anyone who's traveling to the game on, you know, on, on Saturday has a good time in Newcastle. It's a great city. Um, and, you, you know, there's no such thing in Newcastle as, as home fans only. Uh, you know, everyone's welcome everywhere. So, uh, yeah, that's what the Fulham for the rest of the season. Okay. Well, thank you for saying that. And best of luck to uh, Newcastle United as well. And we'll see who wins or potentially draws on uh, Saturday. But uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. And I'll say it one more time. Please do check out. Alex's podcast. It's excellent. It really is. And, uh, you know, again, it'll give you a perspective of what's going on 
with Newcastle United ahead of this match. So highly recommend that. Also want to mention for uh, Fulham fans, uh, if you're not aware of it, I say this on mostly every show now, please check us out on Spotify. It's how I listen back to the podcast myself. So please check us out on Spotify. If you do listen on Spotify to say music, podcasts are now available there and it's an easy way to listen back to the show. So give us a follow if you're on Spotify. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Cottage Talk. For my guest, Alex Hurst, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. Whether taking a road trip to the beach, heading to the mountains, or driving to the city, summer adventures are nonstop fun in a new Honda. But let's face it, summer trips can really add up. That's why I love the fuel efficiency of Honda. With Honda, you can save your money for other things, like that awesome keychain at the convenience store, that brand new album you wanted, or whatever else your heart desires. New Hondas are arriving daily. See your local Honda dealer and start your summer adventures today. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.